Hey everybody, I'm Kate Galliford. And I'm Corbin Craig. Today's episode is very special and a little sad because it just so happens to be Corbin's very last episode as my co-host. Corbin, how are you feeling about that? I have really enjoyed doing Retrospect this past year with you, Kate. Doing the podcast at The Observer throughout this past year has been really exciting and we've learned a lot of new things. It's been really fun to be able to define what Retrospect has been. I'm excited to see what Retrospect does and I'm excited for what you and your new co-host will do as you both continue on. So speaking of the pandemic and where we started as a podcast this time last year, as part of Corbin's send-off this episode, we really wanted to compare and contrast where we are as a school, a paper, and a podcast, again, this time last year, and where we are now. So this episode, we sat down with FCLC Dina Riccio to hear her perspective on the successes and failures of the 2020-2021 academic year. Later, we're very excited to announce that you'll be hearing from our brand new retrospect host, Diana Silva, who will be taking on Corbin's co-host responsibilities from here on out. This is Retrospect, the official podcast of the Fordham Observer. We are very pleased to welcome the Dean of Fordham College at Lincoln Center, Laura Riccio. Hi, Dean Riccio. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So we are just a little over a year removed from the beginning of the pandemic. You became the Dean of Fordham College at Lincoln Center in September of 2019, meaning that you weren't quite able to finish like a full normal year at Fordham before we shifted and did all of this virtual stuff, which I'm sure is an experience that a lot of current sophomore students can relate to, a lot of students coming in as freshmen can relate to. Even Kate and I started doing the podcast after the pandemic had started. So what was it like to be plunged into this completely new territory and role during your first year as dean? You know, it's a great question. And, you know, and as you point out, I'm, I'm absolutely not alone in this. There were a lot of, you know, there were hundreds of first year students who were uh, in exactly the same situation that I was. You know, it's interesting. One thing that I've learned throughout the pandemic has been that it would have been a difficult time anywhere. It was a difficult time for everybody anywhere in the world. But the more time I spent at Fordham, and I'm using at in a sort of abstract sense, (laughs) but the more time I spent in my role as Dean of Fordham College at Lincoln Center during the pandemic, the more I came to appreciate the fact that I was at Fordham because I found the Fordham community to be so incredibly supportive. I found that everybody here was absolutely doing their best to make an admittedly bad situation as good as it could be. And so for me, in a strange way, this sort of has been my normal. I have not been through a normal commencement. Last year, my commencement day involved me sitting in my robes at my dining room table, speaking into my computer screen. This year, it's going to be yet a different iteration, a different version. So to me, this simply is normal. I don't know what a normal Fordham year looks like. So speaking of the pandemic, thankfully, it seems like we're beginning to turn a corner and vaccinations underway. And recently, Fordham announced that it plans to be primarily in person next semester. How does preparing for a post-pandemic or approaching post-pandemic Fordham 
compared to what preparations looked like maybe this time last year in April or as we were approaching the summer this time last year, sort of as we were entering the thick of things in the pandemic? One thing that the pandemic has taught me is something that's probably taught all of us, which is a need for flexibility, a need to be prepared to pivot for all contingencies because you don't know what's going to come. And in a strange way, I feel that that is a a really important lesson that's going to stay with me long past the pandemic. I'll also say that you know, in a way, the return to the planning for the post-pandemic life is much simpler than planning for the pandemic life because we're heading into, I mean, the territory is still uncharted. We still don't know, you know, exactly what it's going to look like, but it doesn't feel quite as much as we're heading into a complete unknown as it did last year. Last summer, I'll say that the faculty, I mean, the deans and the faculty and the staff, everybody, spent just a great deal of time planning. We had to rethink everything. We had to rethink how do we use the limited classroom spaces that we have, because now we can only have a third or a quarter of the population in any classroom. How can we teach students who are in 10 different time zones, potentially, you know, how can we, for some areas in particular, let's say visual arts, music, theater, these were the areas that I was actually working most closely with. And the question really became like dance, how do you transform an education that's sort of essentially physical in some way? How do you transform that into uh, the virtual realm? So last summer was really a voyage into the unknown. But again, I was really doing it in the company of just the most incredibly creative and dedicated people who I think I've met in my whole life. So it was a privilege and and just a tremendous learning experience. Part of that going into the unknown and trying to, I guess, deal with and cope with the pandemic that has gone on for the past year in dealing with new ways of like interacting with school, new ways of interacting with just like each other and students and like friends has led to this situation where we all feel like intense stress and student stress in particular has been exceptionally high throughout this past year. And there have been struggles just adapting to the virtual class format and increased workload and just burnout. What measures has administration taken to try and relieve some of the stress that students have been been experiencing? And what ways are you looking forward to things changing going forward? Well, so first, I just want to acknowledge that everything you've said is absolutely been my experience as well. Students, but also faculty and staff, everybody, we're, we're all under stresses that we had never envisioned. You know, faculty, staff, and students alike have gotten sick, have lost family members and loved ones, have lost jobs, have lost, you know, have lost community, have lost just the 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 surprisingly reassuring interactions that happen in day-to-day mundane exchanges when you pass people in the hallway. I mean, it it's sort of surprising surprising to me at least 
I, I didn't realize how important those things were. So I, I just want to acknowledge that absolutely everything that you've said is, is absolutely been my experience too. And I would say that what the administration has done is really tried as hard as we can to listen to students and to pass along to faculty what we're hearing from students. So I'll just give you an example from yesterday's college council meeting. We happened to have the Fordham College at Lincoln Center college council meeting yesterday. And there were two separate issues that um, came to us, one brought by the USG at LC and one brought by the USG at Rose Hill. The one from the USG at LC basically said, listen, you know, we have a, a situation where a lot of students are getting vaccinated now, their first vaccines, which means that they'll get their second vaccines in a month, which means that we'll be in finals. And we know that uh, a, a lot of people have negative reactions to the vaccines. So what happens if that happens during finals? So we were, everybody in the room, it, this, the college council is the associate chairs, chairs, program directors. And everybody in the room was like, oh my gosh, like nobody necessarily thought about it. But, you know, we are now crafting a memo to send to all of the faculty saying, you know, please be aware of this because, you know, we're going to have to make accommodations for students because they might, for, there might very well be people. We can't predict two in advance, but there might very well be people who will have a negative reaction to it. And another one came from, the one that came from uh, the Rose Hill USG was a request to put Zoom links on Blackboard, even if you, like, even if your class is not normally using Blackboard, but still please put your Zoom links there. Please faculty, please put your Zoom link. So, you know, that was sent out earlier this week as well. So, you know, I think that I'll say again, in terms of what we've learned from the pandemic, something else we've learned has been the real need for communication and the real need for communication across all kinds of lines. So it, nobody intends to penalize students for having been vaccinated at a given moment in time, but nobody had thought about it. We just hadn't thought about it. So the students thought about it. So it was great that the students were able to tell us that we were able to proactively do something. What separate challenges have you faced in supporting virtual FCLC students and FCLC students who decided to return to campus this year? It's been challenging on both fronts. So the students who were not on campus, students who stayed home, they experienced a whole range of challenges, including the potential for social isolation. But also in some cases, there were a number of students who were in situations where they didn't have the necessary Wi-Fi, you know, where they didn't have the necessary, you know, hotspots, didn't have a room where they can take their classes. So there was a very fundamental level, and this really happened last spring, but there's a very fundamental level at which the university really had to help students who were not able to be on campus to get their, their, their basic needs met to enable them to participate in classes. So that was one large group that really took a lot of, a lot of effort. And I would say that I think that we succeeded. I stopped hearing about problems with the basic needs. So I'm hoping that that means that that was successful. I would say that after a period of time, I'd say that last fall, 
we, I think that by then we had all pretty much gotten the hang of online things. By we had gotten the hang of sort of online socializing or online events and so forth. The challenge then became, what do we do in person, and how do we integrate people who are here in person? And there was a lot of understandable anxiety among some students who were on campus. Who were anxious ab- about social interactions in person, and not, again, not just students, also faculty, also staff, just people. So that became another challenge. How do you facilitate social interactions in person when people are anxious about gathering in person? So I think that that became one of the. Challenges, and I'll say that one of the ways that the FCLC Dean's Office addressed that last fall was in very small ways. But we started offering hot cider on the—I think we called it cider in the city—and then we did cocoa on the quad, and now we're doing lemonade on the lawn. And we thought that these were ways, you know, where one member of the Dean's Office each day will go out and stand there, just one-on-one outside. And it's socially distant. And it was sort of a way that we thought of to, you know, at least encourage students to come out and to start engaging with us and, and with each other. It's a very small gesture, of course. You know, hot cider is not the world's most exciting thing. But, but I think that that's, these small gestures helped a little bit in terms of helping people sort of reacclimate to being together and in person. Kind of shifting gears a little bit. In a recent update email sent to FCLC students, you discussed the difficulty of grappling with what you call the twin pandemics of racial violence and COVID-19. I definitely agree that those have been the two issues that have really defined the past year. And we've covered the pandemic, I feel, a lot already in this interview. So I'd like to spend some time to kind of talk about what you called that pandemic of racial violence. So in your opinion, has Fordham sufficiently addressed the pain and concerns of students of color in the wake of this violence? And where can we kind of move forward and continue working? Yeah, I know. Thank you. It's a crucially important question. And and yeah, I did call it the twin pandemics. I can't claim that I originated that phrase, but I stole it from somebody. It's I, I think it's accurate. Somebody else asked me this the other day. And I think that what I'll start by saying is that I don't think there's ever enough that can be done. What I do think is that we're trying and we're making progress. And I know that there are members of our community who are hurting, who are afraid, who are feeling isolated. And there are other members of our community who want to be allies and don't know how. And this is all very real and something that I think about every day. In terms of what we're doing, I think that a lot is happening. I, again, do I think it's enough? I don't think it's, I don't think it's ever enough. But I I was actually pleased when I reviewed, so I personally put together those FCLC updates and resources. And at some point I might ask somebody else to do it, but for now I'm doing it in part. As you observed, I'm still pretty new here. And so I'm still, I'm doing it in part to familiarize myself with what's here, what the 
resources are. And this week's newsletter had, I think, three separate workshops related to these topics. One was specifically, I think, I want to say it was about how to be an AAPI ally without also being anti-Black, because there's a history of tension between those in that area. And that in particular, I was really proud that Fordham was providing a platform, a forum to address that head on, because that's a tough conversation to have. I know that a lot of the departments have really, by departments, I mean the academic departments and programs, have developed tremendous programming around around topics of anti-racism. I've seen everything from the the music department has been having a series of events on black voices and classical music. The modern languages and literature department has having has been having a series on diversity, equity, and inclusion in language. There's just been a, a plethora of of events and activities. So I'm I'm pleased with all of that. I'm pleased also with the theater department had apparently a very successful, I was not engaged with it, but apparently a very successful series of trainings for all faculty, students, and staff with an organization called Art Equity that I'm told was very effective. And also the FCLC Dean's Office, all of the Arts and Sciences Dean's Offices, all of us and all of our staffs have been and still are continuing in anti-racism training, which we've been doing. But there's a lot to be done. Things include that we're starting, include reviewing all of our policies and practices for anti-racism. We've developed a advisory committee for the arts and sciences deans, which has student representation on it. And we're looking forward to hearing what they think we should be doing in addition. We're looking at revising the core curriculum with anti-racism as a key goal. So there's short-term and long-term efforts. And I think the progress is being made. So in the last year, we've all had to find our own ways of making and maintaining connections with others and kind of making the most of circumstances. So what was rewarding for you about this past school year? And what are you looking forward to going into the summer and next fall? Um, You know, I think that what was most rewarding for me personally about this last school year was actually finding new ways to connect with students. So, and, and that newsletter is actually a good example. And actually, I give credit to the Observer for starting me on that. And I'll tell you how. Uh, it got started because the uh, editors of the Observer would write to me every other Wednesday and say, can you please, you know, we're not, we're not able to print in person anymore. So would you please send out the Observer in email form, you know, a link to everybody? And I said, sure. And so every other Wednesday, I was doing that. And then I was realizing I also had a bunch of other stuff I had to tell people. So then I thought, well, why don't I just send something out every Wednesday? And every other Wednesday, it will include the Observer, but it will also include other things. And then that got me sort of down this path of exploring and examining like the inner recesses of Fordham's website to find out what else was going on on campus. So that's how I ended up posting 
you know, like I discovered, who knew there's an events page where you can find out all the events that are happening. So I started mining that and picking and choosing things. And, and then what happens since then is that students now recognize that as a, as a, a vehicle for getting the word out. So now students are writing to me and saying, hey, can you please share news about this, that, or the other thing? So I've found that very rewarding. It's been a way of connecting to the community and embedding myself in the community in a way that I strongly suspect I would not have done had it not been for the pandemic. Well, thank you so much for making the time and coming on today. It was fantastic to be able to talk to you. We're very grateful that you were able to come on and we appreciate it so much. Please take care. Thank you. It's been a delight for me to speak to you and congratulations on the 40th anniversary of The Observer. This has been a retrospect. Special thanks to Dina Rukia for making the time to talk with us today. We also want to take this opportunity to introduce the newest member of the Retrospect team, Diana Silva, who will be taking over co-host duties from Corbin. Hi, Diana. Hi, Kate. I'm so excited to be a part of Retrospect. I am also the new assistant social media editor. I'm a sophomore at FCLC and I'm a psych major. Yeah, we're so happy to have you on and we're absolutely going to miss Corbin and We had so much fun making the podcast all year, Corbin, and I'm going to miss you a lot, but I am so excited to work with Diana and see all the energy and ideas that she brings to the podcast. So really looking forward to the next year of Retrospect with you all. She will be joining us to take on full responsibilities next episode. Until next time, I'm Kate Galliford. And I'm Diana Silva. And for the last time as one of your Retrospect co-hosts, I'm Corbin Gregg. Kate, it's been really good to work on the podcast with you this past year. I'm excited to see what you and Diana both do with the podcast going forward. I'll still be around. I will be one of the online editors for The Observer next year alongside Jill Rice, but I am super excited to work with y'all more next year and excited to see what y'all both bring to the table for retrospect. So thank you for working with me and have a great next episode.